0: Last week, we had concerns about Rodney Terry's Texas Longhorns, but in a matter of hours, the team's front court was solidified by Dylan D'Souza's return and Caden Shedrick's commitment. Are the Longhorns back in business? Let's discuss. You are locked on college basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Andy Patton. In today's show, we are going to speak to Spencer McLaughlin, the host of the Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Ducks podcast. We're talking Arizona and some of the fear that they have had after losing out on Ryan Nemhard. What does this mean for Tommy Lloyd's team? We're going to close out the show talking about Dana Altman and the Oregon Ducks. They have a trio of outstanding freshmen coming in. They also added a pair of Interesting transfer portal additions guys who I think can contribute to that team, but maybe don't fit what they need. Spencer and I discussed that to close out the show. But first, we got to talk about the announcement Caden Shedrick commits to Texas. This happened just after we recorded Monday's episode of Locked On College Basketball. So we missed it in that one. We did mention Dylan DeSue returning to Texas at the end of that show. But now with DeSue coming back, with Shedrick getting added, this, this team looks a lot different than it did last week. And it was just literally just last week that we spoke with Jonathan Davis, the host of Locked on Longhorns, and kind of talked about how at the time, the only rotation player who was for sure returning to Texas was Brock Cunningham. Multiple players had already graduated, had moved on, had ran out of eligibility. We saw Tyrese Hunter enter the NBA draft process, which we're not surprised by. And there was some concern. They hadn't made any, any any real inroads in the transfer portal. We didn't know what was going to happen with Dylan DeSue. And it was starting to look like, Hey, we're all happy about Rodney Terry. This was a great hire, but we need to see something. We need something to change to prove to us that, hey, maybe this team's not going to take a step back next year after a tremendous run through the NCAA tournament this past season in light of, of course, everything that happened with Coach Chris Beard and, and the controversy there, but it didn't take long. It didn't take long. Dylan DeSue announces he's returning a few hours later. Shedrick picks Texas over Duke. Over Xavier, over Missouri, over Kansas State, those are the four schools, uh, five schools in addition to Texas that he was looking at. It is the first portal edition for Rodney Terry as the official head coach, and it's a big one. Evan Miyakawa, for those of you who are everyday listeners who, who listen all about college basketball, you have to check out Evan Miyakawa's website. It's Evan M-I-Y-A dot He has transfer portal rankings for every player in the portal. He ranked Caden Shedrick third third among all the players in the transfer portal right now a look a cursory look at his stats at Virginia is probably not going to tell the full story of course players at Virginia don't score as many points because the program has a they have much less possession there's just not as many points to be scored at Virginia but in 30 games last year he made 15 starts played about 17 and a half minutes per game Shedrick averaged 6.2 points 3.8 boards and 1.4 blocks Basically, in line with his career numbers of six points, 4.2 boards, one and a half blocks. So, a guy who doesn't do a ton of scoring, but he's a high level rebounder. He's been productive in a small role for Virginia for the last couple of years, and he is a very, very good rim protector. That is what Texas is getting here with Shedrick. Shedrick himself spoke to On Three about how he wants to be in an offense with a little bit more. Offensive creativity, and I'll read a quote here directly that he said to On3Sports after his commitment. He said, quote, I chose Texas because I trust the vision that Coach Terry has for me. I'm looking forward to play in a free offense while still playing defense at a high level. I feel like I can show more of what I can do on both ends of the floor at Texas. And I think that's really the key here is that Shedrick's going to be has an opportunity to do a little bit more. And It's hard to project exactly what his role will be offensively, in part because we do not know a lot of what Texas's roster is going to look like. There's still a ton of uncertainty with a few players who could uh, re- remove themselves from the NBA draft process and come back to school. There are still some very high-level transfers that they are looking at. If they add a player like Max Acemus, for example, that changes the dynamic of this team in a considerable way. But I do think the expectation right now is that Caden Shedrick and Dylan DeSue are your starting bigs. That's your front court, And it's a really nice pairing in part because of, and it's going to depend a lot on this. If Dylan DeSue can consistently stretch the floor, that's going to help a lot. That opens up more room for Caden Shedrick to be more of a a pick and roll rim runner, a guy who can, who can come up, set screens, get to the basket, finish around there. You can't really do that if you have two posts, both clogging up the lane. So for DeSue, a big part of it is going to be, can he stretch the floor? Can he step out? He shot 31.3% from three last year. That's not great. It's not terrible. It was on less than one attempt per game, but we do have some data that shows him potentially being more of an impactful player in that regard. In the 2020-21 season, his final year at Vanderbilt, DeSue, he played 17 games that year. He took 3.8 threes a game. So he's shooting about four threes a game and he shot 37%. So it's there there is an opportunity for Sue to be more of a three-point shooter, even if he's not shooting threes necessarily. If he can just stretch the floor a little bit, force defenders away, allow Shredrick to operate around the rim, allow Shredrick to, ap- to operate as a rim runner, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for Shredrick to be a more impactful offensive player. Having said that, he was brought into Texas to be a rim protector. That is his role. That is what he is elite, elite at. And in a Big 12 that has a lot of really talented defensive players. That has been a big part of what this conference has been known for. It's a dominant basketball conference period, but it's a, t- it's a gauntlet for a reason. There's a lot of physicality, a lot of toughness, uh, and a lot of good defensive players, especially on the block. And Shedrick's a guy who, if given a, a full-time 25-minute-per-game role in a system that, that prides itself on how well they play defense there's a real opportunity for Shedrick to be the kind of player who competes for defensive player of the year in the pack, in the big 12. Like he is that kind of player. Now he's going to need to play more minutes. And part of the, part of his story is that at Virginia, Tony Bennett never really gave him much. He played pretty consistently around 17 minutes a night. So if that's where he's at, he's probably not defensive player of the year capability, but even, even if he's, even if that's his role at Texas, Even if all he's doing is playing 18 to 20 minutes per night, if he's blocking one and a half, 1.8 shots per game and scoring around the rim, that's a huge addition for Texas. At the end of the day, though, this is not the move that's going to change the needle too dramatically for the Longhorns. They still have other stuff to do. Max Acemas would be a tremendous addition. Getting Tyrese Hunter back out of the draft process would be tremendous for them as well. They need to figure out what that guard rotation is going to look like. But for right now, we can celebrate that Rodney Terry has at least put together, he can use a pen and write in what his front court is going to look like next year with Shedrick and Dassault and feel pretty darn good about that being one of, if not the best front court in the Big 12 in the 2023 24 season. Well, Spencer McLaughlin joins the show next to discuss Arizona's problematic offseason and whether Tommy Lloyd can turn things around for the Wildcats, all coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Grand Slams. No hitters and double plays are all back and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now new customers can step up to the plate with a no sweat first bet of up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up, place your first bet and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If you do not win, maybe you like the Tampa Bay Rays to continue this horrid hot streak. Maybe you're a big fan of Jared Kelnick and his hot start for the Seattle Mariners. Either way, Make your bets on your no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars right now. When you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right. Thrilled to be joined by the, in the final portion of the show by Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Ducks host Spencer McLaughlin. And Spencer, we're going to talk about the Ducks and we're going to talk about those port- portal additions they just made, Devin Cambridge and Cario Akendo, and what that means for this team, especially with that really, really nice incoming recruiting class. But we're going to start by talking about Arizona because we just we spent Monday's show here on Locked On College Basketball talking about how great of a weekend it was for North Carolina and how great of a weekend it was for Gonzaga with the additions they made. But it was a pretty bad week for, for Tommy Lloyd and the Wildcats, and, and if we're being honest, since they lost to Princeton, it's been mostly bad news for Tommy Lloyd and the Wildcats. We, obviously, you have that disastrous loss early in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you lose Azulis Tobellas to the NBA draft. It does not sound like he has much intention of coming back. Uh, and then you lose Kirk Rees on the transfer portal to West Virginia, and it seemed like everything's going to be fine as long as they land Ryan Nemhardt. And as soon as Ryan Nemhard entered the transfer portal, that was the expectation. Everybody said Nemhard's going to Arizona. There was accusations of tampering, which never really made any sense because there are no rules in the transfer portal <laughs> era. Um, and yet, Nemhard visits Spokane. He he visits Gonzaga. He then visits Tucson and visits Arizona. And usually, if you get that last visit, you got to be if you're, you're feeling good. And instead, Nemhard leaves Arizona and decides to commit to Gonzaga. Now, Tommy Lloyd's team, they don't have a backup plan, it appears. They don't have a point guard on next year's roster. I'm curious how surprised you were to see Nemhard not end up at Arizona, and maybe if there—if it's time to start hitting the panic button, I guess, for Arizona fans and Tommy Lloyd right now.
1: I, I don't think it's panic time, and mm-hmm. I think I'd say I was fairly surprised, though mm-hmm. not entirely floored sure. and shocked. Um, the Zags were just in the Elite Eight, that is where his mm-hmm. brother played previously. Right. So I, I think there is some inherent logic to him going to Gonzaga. It's not like Arizona lost out on, on Ryan Nemhard to, mm-hmm. y- you know, pick a random power, right. fe- like Washington state right. or, or somebody like that mm-hmm. or Cal or, right. or, or someone who's, you know, not on your level as a program. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's panic time. here's the other thing with the portal, Andy, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you're aware of this. The window is open. Yeah. For several, a, a couple more weeks, I mm-hmm. think May 11th is the last day of the portal. Mm-hmm. But here's something for that, that that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. That's the last day to enter yeah. the portal, mm-hmm. not to get players out of the portal. If you mm-hmm. go into the portal right now, whether it's college basketball or college mm-hmm. football, mm-hmm. Uh, whose window closes, I, I believe, May 1st or so for yeah. football, but basketball is open until about uh, mm-hmm. May 11th if you go into the portal between now and then mm-hmm. you could choose a school and come out of it to that school mm-hmm. and enroll and, you know, go through all the paperwork and whatnot mm-hmm. anytime between now. And I'm pretty sure the start of the season. Yeah. Like, like they, they, there is no restriction on that. So mm-hmm. I understand like, is it a blow for Arizona? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause you thought you were going to get him. It's a perfect fit. You have mm-hmm. a void at point guard. You would have loved to have added Ryan Nemhard, who I mm-hmm. think is a really really good player, of course, mm-hmm. Joyce just, just helped Lee Creighton to uh, the elite eight yeah but it's not as if there's no time here because yeah. there are so many names in the portal mm-hmm. more are going to enter between now and May 11th and then you'll have all summer long to either you know pick up uh, heck maybe they try to get in on the Bronny James sweep sure yeah maybe they go after another transfer guy maybe mm-hmm. there's someone off the radar they're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's too early to push the panic button on, on Arizona. But is it disappointing for Tommy Lloyd and company? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Sure. And, and to lose him to, you know, of course, your you're coach that you were a long time assistant under for a long time. And it's you know, I spoke about this on Locked On Zags of so many fears that Gonzaga fans had of like when Tommy Lloyd leaves, we're not going to recruit anymore. And like, you know, this was a big win for Gonzaga in that regard. You but don't I had
1: that concern.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd be shocked. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, so, so
1: that, that is more surprising to me than Ryan Nemhard choosing yeah. Gonzaga.
0: Yeah. Well, and like the Nemhard, I mean, obviously, there's the connection with his brother. And I've said this on the podcast, too. And I, I think I said it on Zags, and I'll say it here, too. I, I think so much of this was, I don't want to say dependent, but the the amount of success that Andrew Nemhard had in the NBA had to play a role here, had to play a role because Andrew was awesome at that level. And I mm-hmm. think Gonzaga's offense has continually proven that they can, they that players who play in Gonzaga's offense adapt well in the NBA. And I think that's true of Arizona as well. And certainly you can look at the success of Ben Matherin and, and what he did also with the Pacers last year, Christian Coloco in Toronto. But those weren't guys that Tommy recruited necessarily. Those were guys that Sean Miller recruited that he just coached up in, in their last year. But I do think it's, it's an interesting dynamic because – you nailed it. This we still got a couple of weeks for players to enter the portal, and then months and months and months of time where players will still show. I mean, th- there are going to be high-profile players that don't commit to their new school until June.
1: Yeah, uh, and, 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 and by the way, just just a caveat in there: there is a time before the season starts where you should be worried about it. Sure, but I think it's a lot closer to June yeah. than it is right now here yeah. in May. If you if mm-hmm. you get towards the end of June mm-hmm. and you're still asking who's Arizona going to have playing point guard next year, then you might have a legitimate problem because I don't know how many options in terms of players in the portal will be left. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, but right now, in this moment mm-hmm. it's a blow it's disappointing, but it's not crippling
0: absolutely and i and I think for for Arizona, like yeah they they've lost some players in the portal. We talked about Kirk Crease going to west virginia and and my co host Isaac Shade on the locked on uh, college basketball podcast. He's mentioned that there's a chance that that's a bit of an addition by subtraction, not that Kirk Crease is a net negative entirely, but that maybe bringing in a point guard who's a little bit more efficient and 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 maybe can kind of do things that that fit a Tommy Lloyd point guard more so than Krisa, but you have to go get that guy and obviously so many people were dead set on it being part. and I think had the conversation not so dramatically been Arizona is going to land Nembhardt and it's like a 95% lock. I'm not sure that Arizona fans would be in as uncomfortable as a spot as they are right now because they feel like they got kind of undercut. And I, I'm not sure that that happened. I think that anybody who assumed Gonzaga didn't have a chance here is silly because there's a family connection. There's a very obvious connection here that that makes some sense. But Arizona has had five players under the transfer portal and zero players come in again so far, but with Krisa gone, you also lose a dime ball to Santa Clara. I think that's a a great addition for the Broncos shout them out uh, and be a a tough loss for Arizona. They have a, a couple of other players who are in the portal as well. But to me, it feels like Tommy's got, one or two decent additions, if he can pull them in the bag, I think it's going to change the conversation. And you know, as an Oregon fan, I'm sure that there was a lot of panic until they made some additions. I know as a Gonzaga fan that there was a lot of panic until all of a sudden they add two big players in Nembhard and Graham Ek, and all of a sudden the conversation changes. So you're saying that we're thinking Arizona is probably going to find a way to turn this thing around and, and, and maybe people who are, who are really panicked right now should pump the brakes until a couple months from now.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's my suspicion, and I think Tommy Lloyd has earned that, you know, yeah. despite the, the loss to Princeton. I think it just feels like everything is snowballing right now and yeah. that it's just all negative, it's all bad, and everything's terrible, no good, very bad. And look, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying as an Arizona fan you shouldn't mm-hmm. feel more concerned about the sure. program than you did, you know, a month and a half ago. Sure. But still, at, at this point in time, you're, you're not pushing the panic button and talking mm-hmm. about hiring a new coach or anything yeah. like that. Like, that's – that any kind of talk like that is all premature. And by the way, for those of you watching on YouTube and are um, wondering why I gave the, uh, the fist bump in the air when talking about the Santa Clara edition, I'm a Santa Clara alum, so yes. um, got to shout out my, my Broncos out there when, when I get the chance. But yeah, I, I'm not worried about Tommy Lloyd. I think he's done a good job uh, so far. Still has a lot more to prove as a coach, sure. but as we all know, college basketball is ridiculously hard.
0: Yeah. Well, when you've won more games than any, any new head coach in your first two years, you still got some some stuff to prove, but I imagine you you should get a, a decent amount of grace period, and hopefully that'll be the case. I yeah. suspect that two months from now, Arizona is going to look a lot better than they do right now. Spencer, I promise we talk some Oregon hoops, and that is what we're going to do to close out the show coming up right after this. All right. Segment three, Stony Patton, still locked on college basketball, still joined here by Spencer McLaughlin, the host of both Locked On Pac-12 and Locked on Ducks. And that's where we are going to focus our attention here to close out the show, talking about this Oregon team that has added uh, two two transfers just in the last few days, quite honestly. We talked about Tennessee had a great weekend. Gonzaga had a great weekend. North Carolina had a great weekend. But the Ducks made a few nice additions as well, and I think kind of helped shore up their depth on the wing. Uh, this, of course, Devin Cambridge from Arizona State, uh, Cario Akendo from Louisville. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on, on what these two guys are going to bring to Dana Altman's team uh, next season.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll start with Cambridge from from ASU, and mm-hmm. I might have misheard. Did you say Akinto from Louisville? He came from Georgia.
0: Sorry, uh, yeah, I I you did not mishear me. I just missed <laughs> <Except> <laughs> yeah, the wrong school. So thanks for correction. Okay. It's, there. Just, it, it's <laughs>
1: always good to know that your guest is awake and <laughs> yeah, on, exactly. On, I'm just on, on <laughs> the show, but I'll, I'll start with Cambridge from Arizona State, mm-hmm. uh, a guy who is a graduate transfer. Exhaust his eligibility at, at ASU. He's got one year left and he'll come over to the Ducks and is mm-hmm. really in line to replace Quincy Garrier, who transferred mm-hmm. to uh, Illinois. Yeah. It was announced earlier today as, as we recently. report the show. So he's going to go to uh, a, mm-hmm. a Big Ten school. He was at Syracuse and he was at Oregon. Now he's mm-hmm. uh, going to Illinois. But you know, Cambridge is a guy who is is solid, just mm-hmm. really really solid. Nothing amazing. I don't expect him to be an all-conference caliber player. Heck, mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know if I want him to be a starter. I mean, yeah. he he and Kinto both
0: mm-hmm.
1: neither of them shoot the ball particularly well, which is a legitimate concern of mine for reasons we can we can discuss mm-hmm. a bit later. But Cambridge is a guy who's athletic, he's mm-hmm. experienced. He can score the basketball. He'll bring it at the defensive end. He's yeah. 6'6 wing. Garrier was 6'7". Mm-hmm. And Quincy Garrier, you know, Oregon played better basketball towards the end of the year when they were healthy and changed the rotations up a little bit. And Garrier was a the guy they were bringing off the bench after starting him to begin the year. And I really liked him in that role. So I hope Cambridge is comfortable with that. Yeah. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't be. I still expect him to get a lot of minutes regardless. But mm-hmm. Oregon needs him to up his shooting percentage because – he he has not been uh, a dazzling three point yeah. shooter in, in his career. He was just under 30% this past season. And, and Quincy Garry was solid. He's around 34%, 35%, not elite, Ooh. but still pretty good. Yeah. And this is an Oregon team that just lacks shooting too often. But Cambridge, mm-hmm. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, someone who can bring it at the defensive end. That's Dane Altman's calling card always has been, defense and rebounding and mm-hmm. he's a guy who's certainly capable of doing that. Averaged about 5 rebounds a game a season ago with uh, uh, the Sun Devils. Now, uh, Akendo, a- <laughs> It's it's curious. You and I were talking about this before we hopped on here. Yeah. He he just scores. Yeah. Like that that's that that's what he does. I I'm not entirely certain where he fits into this Oregon yeah. rotation, right? He's about six foot four, guard slashing wings sort of guy. I, I, he's not a big assist guy, he's mm-hmm. not a big rebound guy, he's not a big shooting guy, but he's someone who was very productive while at Georgia. Yeah. So when you look at a guy who averaged 15 points a game a year ago, 18 points a game in conference play in the very mm-hmm. good SEC. Yeah. And who averaged about 13 points a game the year prior? You'd think you'd bring someone like that in to be a primary scorer, mm-hmm. but I, I don't exactly know. I, I'm curious to see what his role is. I really, really am. Because when I was talking, you know, on, on my show for weeks this offseason about what Dane Altman's priorities needed to be, mm-hmm. the biggest thing was shooting, they were one yeah. of the worst shooting teams in. The country. I'm pretty sure they were last or second to last in the Pac-12 and three-point percentage. I mean they they had their worst three-point shooting percentage season of the Dana Altman era, which is in year thirteen, I believe. This was this past season was, and it was one of the worst in program history. Like they were just missing shooters. So they went out and added another transfer from the JUCO level, Mm -hmm. who while playing junior college ball, Jadrian Tracy was a sharpshooter. But then, and that made sense, right? But sure. Then you go out and you add two guys who kind of look a lot like the players who were productive, but also held the offense back with their inability to consistently hit three. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping they're going to be able to be more productive in that sense because I like what they bring defensively. I like the experience, I like the production. I think there's some fit, but we need shooters, yeah. man. I mean, we yeah. need shooters so bad. And these guys are not them, and so I, I'm I'm really intrigued to see how they use a kendo uh, c- coming over from Georgia. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect that he's more likely to be a starter than Cambridge, Cambridge, mm-hmm. but time will tell.
0: Well, I, for me, it's yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's an odd fit in the sense of they're talented players, and bringing talented players to your team is never necessarily a bad thing, but they don't fit. One of the more obvious needs that the program has, and you lose a player. You know, you're a bad shooting team last year. You lose a player like Will Richardson, who was a bit inconsistent but was a volume shooter. Uh, you lose Gary A. You lose Rivaldo Soares. You lose Kalel Ware, who didn't shoot particularly well. But
1: neither a, did neither did Soares, by the way. I true. feel like you, <laughs> you made you made this comparison mm-hmm. before we we, mm-hmm. we came on the show. Mm-hmm. Akendo is like a more productive mm-hmm. Waldo Soares, right? Yeah, big body, slashing wing but not a high level shooter. shooter. And I liked Waldo source. Mm -hmm. I, he's going to Oklahoma. I think he can do well there. He does a lot of nice things. Mm -hmm. He was under 30% from beyond the arc last year. And that was a problem for the ducks offensively. So I I think these guys just got to make, got to make a jump.
0: Well, the last thing that I want to kind of touch on with that too is, is how much of this is dependent on, on the freshmen, because, They're going to add some good – they've already added some good transfers, but the big story for Oregon next year is going to be the three incoming freshmen Mm -hmm. in K.J. Evans, in Mookie Mookie Cook, and in Jackson Shellstad. And Shellstad has been kind of a quick riser on the list, is now kind of – much higher on a lot of the 2023 class rankings than he was when he initially committed to Oregon. Meanwhile, Evans and Cook have been top 15, top 20, top 10 at times, guys, in that class as well. Adding all three of them, you you have expectations, I suspect, uh, that they're all going to play and and I think that for me like trying to put the pieces together of what this team's going to look like, what Cambridge's role is going to be, what Okenda's role is going to be, it, it's all going to depend on how much those freshmen play right away and how immediately they can contribute. And I'm curious, based on what you've seen or heard or kind of know about those guys, what what the expectation is for for an incredible freshman class, but one that, you know, uh, I think a lot of expectations on them right away.
1: Yeah. And I think KJ Evans is now looking like he's going to have more of an important role when he gets on campus because Another thing I was talking about when uh, discussing potential transfers, just kind of big picture for Oregon before Cambridge and Akendo were, were announced is, Mm -hmm. boy, we kind of need bigs. Yeah. I mean, you got no Khalil Ware. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Folly Dante is back, but you don't have Luke war who was Mm -hmm. a front court player last year. Like who's, Mm -hmm. who's playing in the front court here. It's like, it's in Folly Dante, Nate Biddle. All right. Those are your centers. Who's kind of playing the power forwards. Who are the other bigs? And it looks like it'll be KJ Evans and mm-hmm. I think Altman just wants to go with a lot of kind of long athletic wings, but yeah. not a tremendous amount of size outside of those two bigs. Now mm-hmm. Biddle and, and Dante are, are a big, big presence, big yeah. presence in, in the paint. We saw what Nate Biddle could do at the end of last year and the end of the regular season, the NIT and Folly Dante reigning first team, all pack 12, sure. uh, honoree. So I understand that. But when you look at kind of the makeup, right, I was surprised they added two guys who play on the perimeter because I think you've got three front court players right now. One's a true freshman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One has an injury history right. in and Folly Dante. One mm-hmm. has showed great potential, but has never done it for the course of an entire season. Right. Nate Biddle. So on the one hand, I would love for Oregon's offense to be a little bit more guard wing centric. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to have some more shooting out there. Like I look at Yukon mm-hmm. and obviously that's a good team to emulate that you know they just won the national championship, yeah. of course.
0: It's a good good place to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good place to start. But <laughs> I look at the makeup of their roster. Mm-hmm. And I saw a big in the middle, right, Mm -hmm. Sunogo, absolute beast. I look at him, Folly Dante, I see no difference between those two guys, right? Mm -hmm. Sunogo, maybe a little bit more refined down low, but Dante's a beast, right? Yeah. Like, he could go toe-to-toe with him, Mm -hmm. I I, I think, pretty easily. That'd be a a great (laughs) matchup to watch (laughs) at both ends, right? Mm -hmm. And both guys are big presence, a big presence Mm -hmm. in the middle. They have an offensive game, but they're better at at defense and rebounding, right? And I look at the way UConn plays – And they have a bunch of shooters that surround that one big. Mm -hmm. And Oregon last year ran their offense, I thought too much at times, threw in Folly Dante, Mm -hmm. and then they surrounded him with a bunch of middling to below (laughs) average shooters. So if you're going to add a bunch of guards and wings and you look Mm -hmm. at the number of primary ball handlers or wings Mm -hmm. that Oregon's got here, it's Mookie Cook, Mm -hmm. it's Devin Cambridge, And then you have Jermaine Kuznard, Keyshawn Bartholomew, Jackson Shellstad, Brennan Rigsby, Jadrian Tracy. That's a lot of guys. That's a lot of guys who you'd probably describe as guards before Mm -hmm. you describe them as as forwards. And Mm -hmm. and they're all, I believe, 6'4 and below. So I'm not sure. I won't be surprised if we hear a transfer like Keyshawn Bartholomew or Brennan Rigsby you know, mm. go out of that uh, th- that guard room because it is starting to get a little crowded in there. They're still looking at Bronny James too. Right. Like if Bronny James comes in there, there's just not going to be enough ball to to go around. But James would at least be a really a really good shooter. So sure. I, I, I'm just curious to see how the rotations work out because you bring in Cambridge, a guy with that much experience. Are you going to start Mookie Cook over him? But Cook and Evans as well, they both have one and done potential. Right. So how much are you going to be able to play the developmental game and and actually get something out of them there before they decide oh they might want to go to the NBA so I think there's a lot of different ways that this could play out but the bottom line for Oregon is they have to shoot better they they have to shoot yep. better and they added two guys who are not knockdown shooters and not mm-hmm. only are they not knockdown shooters they're they're below average they're thirty mm-hmm. they're they're below thirty percent I'm pretty sure Cambridge was like twenty nine point six mm-hmm. and then Akendo for his career is about twenty seven percent. Those are not the mm-hmm. numbers that I, I would have liked to bring in. But mm-hmm. if they can up that percentage, that could be something. But Oregon needs a knockdown shooter yeah. to surround whatever big they're playing through at that point in time, whether it's Dante or Nate Biddle, mm-hmm. and, and they've got to have more playmaking at, at the guard position as well. But I, I think they're going to get that you know, between Shellstad and Kuznard and Bartholomew and uh, now you throw a, a Kendo in there. I think mm-hmm. they'll be able to get more playmaking from the backcourt than they had last year. Being healthy would certainly help. Yeah. Um, but I am I, I don't really know how to feel about it right now. Honestly, I'm like, well, if I see this improvement in their shooting, then mm-hmm. it can work out. But if they are putting up the same percentages, I saw mm-hmm. that story play out this year. And yeah, you won 20 games. Great. Missed the tournament. Mm-hmm. Disappointment. Yeah.
0: Well, Spencer, I got to tell you, I can't really predict right now whether I think Oregon's going to be good or not. I'm not super confident in that, it's but, hard to know. but I will tell you, I think they're going to be interesting. Oh, no, <laughs> no, yeah. No, I mean, I think it, they're going to be fun to watch. I'm it, curious it, what Dana's going to do, but I'm not, I am I, as I'm as well. not sure.
1: Yeah, I, I am as well, especially mm-hmm. given how Dana was feeling at the end of the year. Yeah, it wasn't true. enough crowd support. He's clearly frustrated with how their season yeah. ended. They should have beaten mm-hmm. Wisconsin that NIT quarterfinal. Yes. I mean, they blew it. Um, they, they had, I think a six point lead with like two minutes to go, let it slip away. I think it was an eight point lead actually. They, and they were at home. Like that was not a good way to end the season. But you know, if you miss the tournament Mm -hmm. three years in a row, it's a, it's a new, it'd be a relatively new standard given the history of Oregon basketball to say it's time to get a new coach. But the guy who set that standard is the coach who's currently there. Right. But I, I just wonder if you go out. If you're if you're Dana Altman, if you go out and have another 21 win season, but you're playing in the NIT, I I, I don't know. Yeah. I I I don't know if that's if that's gonna cut it. That'd be a university question. Rob Mullins, the athletic director, but it'd be a fascinating one.
0: Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time to talk some Oregon hoops, talk some Arizona hoops as well. We got a lot of off seasons still to go, but I'm sure we'll have you back on to to recap how things go as we get closer to the season. Th- thanks again for your time.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Anytime, Andy.
0: All right, that is going to do it for us today right here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. You everyday listeners keep coming back. We got more transfer portal updates as we continue to see new players changing schools, declaring for the NBA draft, making their decisions regarding that. So we got plenty more content coming your way this week. We'll continue our NBA draft declaration process with Leaf Tulin of the Locked On NBA Big Board as well. So look out for that. Keep Keep letting us know what you think about the show. Let us know on YouTube. Let us know, leave us reviews on iTunes. Let us know in the comments. Subscribe on YouTube if you have not done so yet. We are very close to 850 subscribers. We're hoping to get to 1,000 before the NBA draft. So if you have not done so yet, go to YouTube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button. Again, I want to thank every single one of you for listening. Hope to see you back here very soon. But for now, peace out.